0: I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we're closing in on the new year, and we had... You know, a lot of stuff, I guess, happened over the weekend that we're going to deal with on this week's show, the Co-Main Event Podcast. Of course, Derek Lewis won his fight against Chris Dacus on Saturday in the UFC, and that same night, Jake Paul goes out there and knocks out Tyron Woodley to win their rematch, so we'll we'll touch on that stuff later in the show. We're going to have Sir Nigel Longstock come by for the much-anticipated Co-Main Event Podcast holiday office party, so that'll be fun for everyone wanted to open the show uh this week though ben uh with this item and that is that ben nate diaz didn't even fight this weekend <laughs> and he still arguably came out of this thing with the best highlight yeah did you see this you see this video of nate diaz just uh scaring motherfuckers right out of their jumbo big gulp beers
1: yep and it's really satisfying just the way The the beer just goes flying, man. Oh, like it's not, and
0: it's the biggest beer you've ever seen. It's a Florida sized beer, if there ever was one.
1: It's not a little bit. You know, it's not just like a a smidgen of beer sloshing over the rim of the glass. It is just a a cascade of beer, brought on by just Nate Diaz flinching at motherfuckers. I want to point out, Nate Diaz Chad is thirty six years old. 36 years old and and he's just gonna just get you to flinch like you're he's walking down the middle school hallway
0: I mean what precipitated this do you think you think this guy had some words for Nate Diaz and then he he got flinched on
1: I mean it's hard for me to imagine that Nate Diaz is just walking by sees this guy I mean unless what happened is he saw him standing there holding the comically large beer (laughs) (laughs) and was like, oh, shit, this will be hilarious,
0: (laughs) which... (laughs) I mean, he was right if that's what he thought. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, if that is it, well, you know, that's when, like, you know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. (laughs) So I, I guess I would have to understand it, but it does seem like something, there must have been some kind of words exchange, don't you think, that maybe maybe it would make Nate Diaz want to uh, show out on you a little bit.
0: Yeah. Like maybe Nate Diaz says, that's a big beer. And the other guy says, don't be scared, homie. And then Nate Diaz causes the entire beer to erupt from his hand. I that's not, a, that's not like, that's not the flinch you have when a normal guy does that. That's the, that's the Nate Diaz is coming at you level of flinch. When you just toss your entire, soda pop right up in the air like that. That's, it was, it's amazing.
1: Okay, um, the thing I did not realize until I saw the, the MMA Junkie stories that were claiming that this guy he flinched on is a fighter himself.
0: Well, I mean, that makes it more, uh...
1: So he must have said something, right? But he is a an MMA and bare-knuckle fighter, Carice Archer, who posted an Instagram video about it, which starts out, Hello, world, I seen all the laughter, everybody laughing, ha 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 ha. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. This is better than I even dreamed it
1: would be. Um, it goes on to... Well, first of all, it calls Nate Diaz, quote, a bona fide female dog. You see what he's doing there? Mm-hmm. He had the police with him, had the security protecting him, and you're going to flinch at me and try to sucker punch me when I'm not paying attention? And y'all think this man is a gangster? I think the world is fucked up and confused around here when they think about what is a real gangster. Um, Now... I didn't think we were gonna get to a place from just this one humorous moment to questioning whether the world has lost its way. <laughs> I didn't think that's where we were gonna go
0: with this. I mean, I you know he's right. the world is fucked up and confused, but uh, maybe maybe not on this particular topic. I don't I, I, I don't know. Uh, man, this is uh this seems like a tough one for this guy to come back from. I'm gonna be perfectly frank.
1: I mean, I feel like the way to go with this one would have been to lean into the humor of it, because the shit is undeniably funny, bro. (laughs) It just is. It just is. There's just so much goddamn beer that goes flying like a goddamn cartoon. You got to work with that. You can't try to work against that. Don't swim against that tide.
0: Lean into it. I guess that is the highlight, Ben. The low light, of course, from the past weekend reports out yesterday and today that Chael Patrick Sonnen has been arrested by Las Vegas PD after, uh, according to the reports that just came out today, engaging in misdemeanor battery against five different individuals in a hallway of a Luxor hotel in there in Vegas. And, of course, uh, my favorite detail, it was 7.33 p.m., so, just about dinner time for most of us. <laughs> Chael Sonnen is out here attacking almost a half a dozen people in a uh, in a hotel hallway. TMZ Sports had the video of him getting led away with his shirt ripped free of his body. Not a great weekend uh, for Chael Sonnen.
1: Um, I mean, honestly, if we're going to be talking about gangsters out in these streets, b- battering five people is maybe one way to get there you do just i feel like the more I learn about this situation, the more questions I have about it. the seven thirty three p m thing is only only one part of it um but also i mean you just like if you're bettering that many people are are there people who are just passers by who are getting pulled in like it's like one of those like cartoon, like dust cloud kind of thing where there are just fists and feet flying out and then somebody just gets pulled in. Like there have to been somebody who just sort of was on their way down to the buffet yeah. and was trying to get from one end of the hallway to the other and accidentally got battered by Chael Sonnen.
0: I mean, it would seem so. This is why when I'm leaving my room when I'm in Vegas, I always stick my head out the door first, look mm-hmm. up and down the hallway, see if Chael Sonnen is out yep.
1: there hmm sometimes if I see some people down the end of the hallway and I can't tell who they are I'll just go chill just to see if one of them turns around <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and I'm yeah back in there so uh among fighters who didn't fight this weekend Nate Diaz probably the highlight Chael Sonnen probably the low light
1: but look we cannot talk about this whole thing without mentioning the response of one Jonathan Dwight Jones
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't even know about this. I didn't oh, know you that didn't. was a response. Oh, no.
1: oh, my man. My man, I'm, I'm going to need you to settle in and get comfortable because he replies on Twitter. Chael Sonnen, I'm not going to sit here and celebrate you getting battery charges against a female last night. That would make me like you, and I'm nothing like you. Instead, I will wish your family well. I wish the victim's family well. See, he's not going to try to use this as an opportunity to get one back on Chael Sonnen, who did this, he felt like, to him when he was mm-hmm. arrested in Las Vegas yeah. recently. He's not going to cool. do that. Would never dream of doing that.
0: Who? Wh- what kind of man
1: would do such a thing?
0: He's classy. not him. As usual, a classy response from John Jones, who also uh, takes away the correct lesson that he and Chael Sonnen are nothing alike. Yep. That's the correct lesson. Just to take away from this situation, he's going to wish
1: his family well and the family, families, I suppose, of the victims. Yeah, the half the many families.
0: (laughs) the victims Uh, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper don't forget uh, to go out and follow us on instagram over at cme if you nasty or like us on facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event this show drops every monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries and if you think we're having fun right now you absolutely need to go out and see what's happening over at patreon.com slash co-main event ben folks and i are there party rocking all week most weeks course, this this week is a shortened holiday week. uh, But we'll be over there with two additional podcasts. In addition to the proper, we've got the Wednesday live chat and Thursday doing the damn thing. So if you are interested in supporting the team, Keeping us independent, you can go over there to patreon.com slash event and sign up. We've got a handy patronage tier for every budget. We got music this week from Stockholm-based producer Semio, aka co event podcast listener Alfred Larson. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com semio that's S-E-E-M-I-O in Semio. Three rounds as usual this week in the co Event Podcast. In round number one, Derek Lewis became the UFC's all-time knockouts leader or whatever when he stopped Chris Dacus in the first round a Saturday Night's uh, Fight Night event. Then he threw his cup into the crowd. Dana White says he should keep his phone on leading up to next month's pay-per-view. But Lewis says don't call him for any five-rounders. So it all sort of seems like business as usual so far. And in round number two, Jake the Coronavirus Paul docked out Tyron Woodley in their hastily arraigned rematch down in Florida. So what now? Can Paul mutate into something even more infectious, but perhaps more benign moving forward? Can Anderson Silva scoop up that bag? Are there any other members of the early 2000s Missouri Tigers wrestling team that still want to step up? <laughs> And in round number three, our guy, Sir Nigel Longstock, will be on hand for the CME holiday office party. It should be fun. But if he offers to let you, quote, sip on his nog, do not, we repeat, do not take him up on that offer.
1: It's unfortunate you had to learn that lesson the hard way.
0: (laughs) We got all that coming up on this show. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. So we got some old heads writing in this week in listener mail, some long time listeners of the podcast. It's good to hear from some of these people. First this week, Vern Russell writes to say, Cub Swanson has always been one of my favorite fighters and Saturday's win over the damage made me start thinking, why is Cub's name never mentioned when the discussion turns to who the UFC's best boxers are? Discourse, please. Good sirs. Uh, I mean, this is an important, uh, an impressive performance from Cub Swanson, if nothing else to get in and out of a fight against Derek Elk- Elkins, Darren yeah. Elkins in under a round, like that is, that's, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. And frankly, uh, it looked like Cubby Sampson just went out there and breathed through this thing, man. Yeah. Like he knew he was the better fighter. He wasn't sweating it, hanging the hands down around his knees the whole time, Lands some crisp shots, throws the spinning kick. And, and you know what else happened here our guy herb Dean stepped in called this thing off you know not prematurely but but uh, early enough to prevent Darren Elkins from taking too much damage here which I thought was a good stoppage from herb Dean
1: I mean Darren Elkins doesn't even know what to think when you don't let him get drenched in blood before mounting his comeback
0: He's, yeah he doesn't he didn't even think it had started yet yeah
1: he thought we were still in warm-ups uh, but You could tell that Cub Swanson knew and understood that he had a speed advantage, not just in all facets of the game. And he was doing a great job of using that without getting sucked into anything that would give Darren Elkins an opportunity to negate that speed advantage. And it was like he was teleporting just in his face and then was gone. And Darren Elkins couldn't even find him, I saw some of the gifs afterwards where people were posting is showing how, you know, he'll just sort of jab his way in there. And then by the time Darren Elkins can register that he's been hit in the face twice and throw a right hand in response, Cub is just gone. Yeah, he's just not nowhere to be found. Yeah. It, it was just a smooth, technical destruction, piece by piece. And honestly, you, you could tell that Cub Swanson... He, he knew who Darren Elkins was, and so he he made a comment afterwards that I wasn't really expecting to get him out of there in the first round. Like, you go into the Darren Elkins fight, you think, like, I might beat this guy up in the first round, and then it'll start. That's when the fight will start. Yeah. And to to go in there, to take basically no damage and work a little over two minutes and get that win, get a performance bonus, I mean, that, that's a good end of the year for Cubby Sampson there.
0: I agree. 38-year-old Cub Swanson, now winner of uh, three of his last four fights. So that is impressive. What about to Vern's uh, point here, Ben? Do you think Cub Swanson deserves more credit, more love, as one of the uh, premier boxers or strikers in the UFC?
2: I mean, maybe
1: when when he gets to do it. But I, I feel like with Cub Swanson, it seems like, first of all, I think the who's the best boxer in MMA conversation is kind of dumb. Or at least it's... It is dumb adjacent because, I don't like, what are we talking about? If somebody mixes in kicks to their attack, does that remove them from the conversation? I I just, I don't know. It feels like we are talking about a thing that is not necessarily related to what we're actually doing when we get too deep in that conversation. But, I mean, the guy has good hands, but he has good lots of stuff. Like, he, he does lots of stuff well. And so I think it's a little... Like, reductive, honestly, to just be like, okay, he's just a boxer getting by an MMA.
0: Yeah. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Lee Woodmanzy, who writes, Which is more enraging or embarrassing of the, quote, creative striking techniques? The Diaz brothers' Stockton slap or Dante May's hip thrust pelvis punch schlong smack? Wow. Honorable mentions go to Israel Adesanya's pump of Paulo at the end of their title fight and Michael or Michelle Pereira's telegraphing of the exact hand he is going to leave, he is going to use to slap your face with, discuss. Uh, so I assume everyone has seen this. Yeah, correct? I mean, it's... even if you didn't tune in for the early prelims uh, where Dante Mays and Josh Parisian were fighting in their heavyweight fight, uh, because. This is how you become a meme. Yep. This is how you get this is how you put yourself out there. It's
1: a it's a highly gifable moment. And also, as I saw people pointing out, doesn't it feel like that's the you're sitting there watching MMA that your your dad is always making fun of and, and talking about all these sweaty men rolling around together and that's what you like to watch in your free time. You know, there'll be all these bloodbath fights going on, he'll be nowhere to be found. The instant something like this happens is when he walks in the room. <laughs> takes takes a look at the tv to see what you're watching and is just like shaking his head walking right a oh,
0: real nice sport you got here he'll say
1: although i mean if you talk about like enraging or embarrassing like this one is up there i think pelvis punch i feel like feels like what we should go with here but there is something even more embarrassing about not only you know michelle pierre Holding up in the hand that he's going to slap you with, but then after he slaps you with it, then he will, like, look at the hand as if congratulating it on a job well done. <laughs> That's yeah. that extra little twist, you know?
0: No, I agree. A little showmanship. Yep. A little presentation. It's got some mm-hmm. presentation to it. Yeah.
1: And then he just kind of holds it up like, ah, eh, wasn't it good? Isn't everything I told you it was going to be?
0: Next question this week comes to us from Taylor Loyal, who writes, so your boy Nurmi has started the Eagle Fight Club. No word yet on what is the first rule of Eagle Fight Club. And he's bringing with him Kevin Lee, Rashad Evans, Tyrone Spong, and Sergei Haritanov, not to mention 165 and 175 weight classes. Hashtag woodwatch. Ben, we've been talking about Eagle FC quite a bit over in the uh, on the Patreon page during the Patreon products uh making a little bit of fun of the logo over there that the, the eagle head logo that looks like it it would be right at home on the side of a uh, high school football helmet mm-hmm. but uh when it happens when this goes down we've already had a little bit of a shuffle in the main event you had Bigfoot Silva in there first of all against Tyrone Spong but then Bigfoot Silva according to Eagle FC was medically unfit to fight so they got him out of there they got Sergey Haritanov in there uh, are you going to hashtag watch this thing that when it happens, considering a lot of known names on the card, a promotional effort from Habib Nurmagomedov, and two things that we've been calling for for a long time on this podcast the 165, first and foremost, and also bumping that welterweight division up to 175?
1: Yeah, I mean, doesn't it feel like uh, sooner or later we got to check it out, see what's going on over there with Eagle FC, and making some moves yeah. that, that get our attention? So, I mean,. I can see at least sitting down to figure out what we're looking at here and how seriously we should be taking it. And if we're not going to have Bigfoot Silva die on it, then I feel a little better about that. Interested in Dana White's response. Do you see Dana White's comments on
0: it? Was this the one where he said uh, Habib's going to find out it ain't ain't no garden party out here being an MMA promoter?
1: I haven't talked to Habib about his promotion. He's going to find out what it's like to be on the other side. It's not as fun as it seems. He's going to learn. If he doesn't know, he's going to know. Listen, if he calls me and wants advice, I'll absolutely give it to him. But yeah, I think he's going to learn the hard way. First of all, it's interesting. Dana White, who has never been a professional fighter, but has plenty to say about professional fighters and how they should go about their business and offered plenty of criticism, has unpromoted more UFC fighters than anybody else uh, over the t- his time as UFC president. And then when a fighter wants to become a fight promoter, he's going to be like, "Oh, now they're going to have to they're going to have to find out that this shit is hard." It's like, man, I, they're they're trying to do your thing. You never tried to do their thing. Their thing was pretty fucking hard, man. The thing that the yeah. guy Khabib did, that he was undefeated at, that thing was really fucking hard. You know, now he's coming over there, and you'd be like, "Oh, he's going to find out." Here I am, richer than anybody who has ever fought for me. Smelling the eucalyptus. During my plunge and steam every day, and oh man, they they don't know how hard this life is. I don't know, man. I think they might have lived the harder life. Yeah, getting, getting to that
0: point, it's possible. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It, it it's interesting to me to hear him say that he hasn't talked to Habib about Eagle FC because you just look at the people who are fighting on the thing, and it kind of seems like a UFC satellite promotion almost. Like they got Rashad Evans coming out of retirement to fight over there. Uh, they got uh, Kevin Lee, who recently just got cut from the UFC. So I don't know. It seems like I, my assumption would be there would be a fairly close working relationship between these two organizations, and if nothing else, that Eagle FC might show up on the FightPass.com. So it's interesting that uh, that it sounds like Dana White is at least keeping Habib at arm's length a little bit here in terms of like his promotional efforts.
1: If Habib did come to him for advice, do you think the advice Dana White would give would be like keep all the money? That's yes, you know you, yeah. That's what you should do. That's the genius move of it. Is when you you have money coming in, give as little of it as possible to the fighters and keep as much as you can.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's been the the key to the success of the UFC, right? Just like, a,
1: like you're getting a fucking business MBA right there in just a couple minutes time talking to Dana White
0: yeah all right uh one more here from jonathan the pastor of disaster who writes i guess i was lucky enough not to hear the anti-islamic rhetoric shouted at bilal muhammad on saturday night uh, apart from the ironic usa chants my question though is could a case be made that the increasingly maga friendly ufc is actually inadvertently accommodating these type of toxic fans discuss uh first of all i would say i don't think there's anything inadvertent about it uh Second of all, I would say, man, you know, good on Paul Felder for uh, yeah. for pointing this out during the broadcast of say, of basically saying we got USA chants going on in the Apex right now during a fight uh, featuring Bilal Muhammad, who is from Chicago. Yes. And then he was basically like, you idiot, you yeah. absolute moron. <laughs>
1: yes, yeah. He did not hold back. I appreciated that as well. And right away, as soon as you heard the USA ch- Yeah, and I didn't hear anything. During the fight, but uh, Bilal Muhammad said he heard it and that he even talked to Stephen Thompson. and was like, are those are those your boys? And he was like, no, no, those are my boys. And he was like, okay, <laughs> like we're, we're cool. But he was also saying, hey, if you're going to do that shit in the small UFC apex, I can look up and find you in the crowd. I can see who you are and maybe yeah. have some words with you later on about it. Like you're not blending in with 20,000 people at that point. It's not that hard to determine where it's coming from. Uh, but yeah, I didn't hear. And you know what? As far as the, the question, you're right that it's not exactly inadvertent. I would think that Dana White would say and probably even genuinely believe that the UFC is apolitical and has not staked out a political stance. But at the same time, he went on there to give speeches uh, to help Donald Trump, the like the most divisive president and political candidate of our lifetimes, I think, Uh Helped him at every turn, both in his initial election and his bid for re-election, and then really worked hard to align himself with that kind of right-wing rhetoric in other ways, like being like, hey, uh, we, we don't cancel people here, you could say whatever you want, there's no such thing as too racist for the UFC, basically, and... Uh, his stance on the pandemic, while well, I think it was just fueled by you know good old-fashioned greed on Dana White's part, we don't even want to pause the money machine for even a moment unless you absolutely make us. Uh, I think that will be seen, since everything about it got politicized so quickly, as aligning itself with a certain political viewpoint. And so yeah. when there's one side of the political discourse that is like racism is good actually and you take the stance of hey everybody can say whatever they want and we're not gonna even say that it's bad to say it then you're on that side whether you meant to be or not
0: yeah and it's a shame for bilal muhammad frankly who picks up a really big win against thompson in the co-main event of this fight night uh card where he basically was just all over him this entire fight Working his wrestling, being on top, Landon, Landon strikes from the top when he needed to, controlling Steven Thompson pretty much the whole way. Uh, gets a, a lopsided judge's decision here, 30-25 on one card and then 30-26 on both the other two. Uh, Bilal Muhammad has not lost since January of 2019 when he lost the decision to Jeff Neal. He's got a, a bunch of, of consecutive wins in a row with that no contest against Leon Edwards kind of mixed in there. Uh, so as we get into 2022 here, man, he's he seems like he is going to be a person to reckon with one way or another in that division. And it sucks for him to go out there. The last fight of the year, his highest profile fight in a while, a big spot on the card. Uh, and we got to talk about this stuff after it, which is which sucks for him, frankly.
1: Let me ask you this, since I don't know if we'll end up talking more about this fight after this Listener Mail segment. But do you see that fight as more about Bilal Muhammad? doing his stuff as a top welterweight contender. Or you see, as was mentioned, I think, by Michael Bisping at some point during the fight, as the fight was still going on, sort of a passing of the torch that the the time of Stephen Thompson is coming to an end and the time of the that next generation of guys coming up is now at hand. Because especially you look at Stephen Thompson, shit like this didn't really used to happen to him. And basically Gilbert Burns goes out and does it and you go, well, oh shit. All right, that's Gilbert Burns. He's really fucking good. He's one of the best guys in that division. Then Malal Muhammad goes out there and really follows basically the same exact game plan. Does really more damage to him, I think, in in a lot of these exchanges. And do you come away from that going, that's just Malal Muhammad Abbott adding his name to the list or, and possibly and, is it Stephen Thompson showing that, you know, maybe he can't compete at that level anymore?
0: Um I think it's probably and to be honest with you. I think it can be two things at the same time. Steven Thompson is thirty-eight now, he's two and four in his last six fights, so it's not like he has been streaking, but he still doesn't look uh you know out of his depth when this fight is on its feet. And yeah. and even in some instances where he was able to do some real nice stuff to get back to his feet, he had one really blatant cage grab, but there were some times in this fight. Uh, where it looked like Bilal Muhammad just had him locked down on one leg, and you would see Stephen Thompson kind of work his way up and turn into it in a nice way that allowed him to get up. And so, like, uh, I, I think it's a great win for Bilal Muhammad. He kind of plants his flag as a as a contender in that division. But at the same time, uh, it's it's almost like there's there's not a huge. Uh, amount of of shame to go into it if you're steven thompson just to get out wrestled by, by a guy with the skills of bilal muhammad like i don't think anybody at this point expects the wonder man to like jump up and be the champion but i still think he's capable of putting on competitive fights and good fights and so he didn't look like he was out of it to me he just looked like uh he went in there frankly also in the small octagon and uh and got controlled by bilal muhammad so i think it's a good win for bilal and and at 38, we'd probably be lying if we didn't say Stephen Thompson probably seemed a little bit past his prime, but he also seems like a guy who can still go out there and do the thing if he wants to.
1: Yeah, but also, like, let's not act like uh, you'd be totally shocked if he ends up fighting for Bitcoin in Eagle FC.
0: That's true. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a distinct possibility somewhere down the line if you're Stephen Thompson. In any case, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, or a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click, click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben Derrick Lewis got to do all of his stuff on Saturday night, Saturday night. Went out there, knocked out Chris Dacus in three minutes and 36 seconds into the first round of their main event fight at this fight night card. He broke the UFC record for most knockout wins at 13. He threw his athletic supporter into the crowd where it was gleefully snatched uh, by one of the people in attendance there at the Apex. And uh, then he did a funny interview. In the cage with Michael Bisping, where he was like, yeah, man, I'd love to fight for the title, but don't call me for any more of these five rounders, because that's too long to fight. Call me for a three rounder. Uh, so it all came up Derek Lewis uh, this weekend. I guess the thing I wanted to start with now is at this point in Derek Lewis's career, where his, you know, aside from this TKO loss he suffered to Cyril gone in their interim title fight in August. Like his last two losses prior to that were 2018, 2019 to Daniel Cormier and Junior dos Santos, so a couple of good fighters there in their own regard here. Uh is it time now that we all must acknowledge Derek Lewis as like a really really damn good UFC heavyweight fighter and maybe not uh just the the like heavy swinging knockout artist that I think w- we would underestimate at times as perhaps not as skilled as some of the other people in this division. Cause like you see a performance like this against Chris Dacus, Uh and it seems like Derek Lewis aside from just having tremendous punching power is also has developed into just a darn good MMA fighter, man. Like he's got the skills that it takes to be successful in this division and I think he is smarter and craftier and more technical than maybe anyone gives him credit for. And I think more than he wants to get credit for at times.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he really likes to play into that image of the guy who doesn't even really train for this shit, just goes out yeah. there and swings hard and tries to take your head off and just wants to fuck people up but doesn't want to work that hard to do it. And he's, he's having fun with that. And you know what? Aren't we always talking about people who don't understand the need to give us something to you know, market themselves, to, to give us something to remember them by? Knocking people out and acting like uh, you only want to do it that way because it's too damn hard to go all five rounds. That's not a bad gimmick, man. Maybe we'll yeah. get into that gimmick. Also, got to correct you on a fact. Did not throw his athletic supporter. Just the cup.
0: Just, just the cup portion.
1: Just took out the cup, referenced NFTs. Uh, checked off a lot of boxes, and, you know, away we go. But honestly, this fight especially, I th- even though it didn't last that long, but you could see him doing some stuff here where you're going, all right, you are you are clearly working on things. You are a a smarter fighter now than you were two, three years ago, and it's because you must be putting in that work in the gym. Because you could see him at first, early on in this round, having trouble out in open space, with the, the quickness and the distance that Chris was fighting him at. And that, you know, he sort of realized I can't just stand out here, even in the small cage. I can't just stand out here in the open and expect this guy to run into my fists. The way I need to back him up to where he runs out of space and has his back against the fence and then I can go. And he was doing that, you know, he's throwing kicks and everything, and but he's successfully backing him up, and then you can see as soon as he puts his back to that fence, then Derek Lewis is gonna go. And he's you know, he's working on like an inside trip on you just to give you something to think about. He's grabbing a tie clinch and throwing knees out of it, and then, you know, he gets Chris has to make that mistake of instead of trying to get rid of the the clinch around his neck, he's trying to throw punches from inside it in, in that close space, in Derek Lewis's space. He throws three or four punches, and they they kind of sort of land, and Derek Lewis goes, okay, that's nice. Bing, just one right hand, puts him on Queer Street, and then all he has to do is unload with a couple more, and it's only a matter of time before you're going to sleep like that. It's like, that's a guy who clearly is doing at least a little bit of training and game planning to get these fights to his strengths. He's not going to be able to do it against everybody. I still think those top few heavyweights are going to be able to to work around that and you know, that Cyril gone fight might've been an example of that, but he's still good enough to, he can beat a whole lot of heavyweights out here and probably does not need more than a round or two to do it.
0: Yeah. And, but like you said, the landscape at heavyweight right now seems pretty well set at least through next month when you're going to have Francis Ngano and Cyril gone fight to unify the heavyweight title. And then all signs point to the winner of that fight taking on John Jones, if that is a thing that we are able to put together. Uh, so Derek Lewis, you know, Dana White says his best move here is to keep his phone on and be around just in case we need a, a late replacement for one of these heavyweight fights, which obviously at that weight and in that division is not a thing that is unheard of. That is a thing that happens. You could get into a, a chance at the heavyweight title on short notice there. Uh, but at the same time, like, what's your what's your best... Option, aside from that, if you're Derek Lewis, are you trying to get a fight with somebody like Steve Miocic, or are you just going to hang out and keep picking off Chris Docas type individuals?
1: I mean, picking off Chris Dacus-type of individuals is not the worst job you can get as Derek Lewis no. in the UFC at this point. I mean, I'll be interested to know what staying ready with your phone on would actually look like for Derek Lewis. Like, Do you think he's actually in there in the gym – really training hard like training like he has a fight coming up on a maybe I mean don't you think Derek Lewis would be the kind of guy to tell you like hey look if you want to pay me to be on call I'll be on call you know you want you want to pay me as uh that that thing the UFC does every once in a while as sort of a just-in case guy like on retainer then okay but having him stay training really hard like fight camp training on the just the possibility that he may be needed mmm I don't know. I feel like if I have to fight Derek Lewis, I want to fight him under that circumstance. I mean, I want to fight him not at all, honestly. But (laughs) if I have to fight Derek Lewis, if I absolutely must, I want to have him do it where, you know, he didn't really necessarily think he was going to be working that Saturday.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't generally like to do this about fighters, but when you see Chris Dacus out there, you just see him during the tail of the tape, frankly. And you see the weight disparity here. Chris Dacus rolling into this fight at 235. Uh, a guy who just left his job, frankly, as, the, uh, as a cop in Philadelphia to pursue a professional MMA career. He had won five fights in a row, but this obviously isn't how you want to start that venture with this first round KO loss to Derek Lewis. When you see Chris Dacus out there being six foot two, two 235 pounds and still looking like, you know, he's got a, a little bit of a spare tire. Around the midsection. Looking respectable for a UFC heavyweight for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, not looking like there ain't more weight to lose. <sighs> did Chris Douglas look like a light heavyweight out there against Derek Lewis? Because he kind of did to me. And like I said, I don't like to make statements or be like this guy should cut weight, this guy's fighting in this different way in the wrong weight class, et cetera, et cetera. But in Chris Douglas's case, where the champ is glover to Shira down there at 205 right now. If I can make the weight, I would think about it to be perfectly honest.
1: Yeah, but this is the classic problem for mid-size heavyweights because if you're 6'2" 235 and you drop down to light heavyweight, you cut that extra the poundage, you're still 6'2" and not exactly blown anybody's mind as a physical specimen among light heavyweights. You're still there's still going to be bigger guys. at at light heavyweight and they might be better athletes. I mean, maybe they won't be Derek Lewis kind of one hitter quitter power guys, but still it's not like you're getting such a huge advantage over those guys. Like you're going to be towering over them or or pushing those guys around. You're still going to be the smaller guy in a lot of those fights. And now they might be quicker too. Like I, I understand when heavyweights around that size, make that choice of like, okay, look, if I got to deal with the power, fine, but maybe I can have a speed advantage and athleticism advantage over some of these guys rather than giving up all of that uh, and having to cut fucking 30 pounds. I, yeah. I, I could totally understand making that calculation.
0: Maybe if you're Chris Dawkins, you get on the horn with Habib, and you're like, hey, man, did you ever thought of a uh, cruiserweight division? <laughs> you ever thought of cruiserweights over there in Eagle FC? 220, 225? Mm, what do you think?
1: Let's put some Bitcoin on the table and let's talk about it.
0: All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
1: Well, Chad, I blame Tommy Fumbles. I'm just going to say it because Tyron Woodley was off living his life. You know, maybe talking about trying to get that Jake Paul rematch, talking about whether or not we got a real tattoo, all this other stuff. But then a man of 14 fucking stone goes and hits Tommy Fury bare fisted, injures his ribs. He's out the fight. Tyron Woodley is in. And then that's how he ends up getting slept with one right hand. By Jake Paul. Now, I'm gonna let you in a little secret here. I did not sit there and watch this one live. Uh, I, I I checked out some highlights afterwards. Didn't seem like I missed a whole lot. Right up until that right hand, which I have seen now replayed roughly five thousand times, and yeah. some of that in meme format. I'll go ahead and say that that is a a straight up walloping that Jake Paul lands there and. You can hear Tyron Woodley talk about it afterwards, but it seems like when you're watching it and you go, how do you how do you not see that one coming? Because here he is basically saying, like, I'm going to wind up and I'm going to hit you with the right hand. And then it just thwap right across Tyron Woodley's head and he is face down asleep.
0: Yeah. Maybe the best advertising dude wipes has ever gotten.
1: Right. Dude wipes is on the force on this
0: on the back of the trunks there on on Tyron Woodley. Uh, I mean, you, you take this fight on short notice, right? And so I think it's the same questions you have about everyone else when they take a fight with this kind of notice. And Tyron Woodley said he was in the gym, but was he in the gym with the intensity that you would be when you had a, a fight coming up? And would you be as sharp just in the boxing game as you would have been if you were in an actual training camp for several weeks leading up to this Jake Paul fight? And I, like you, I watched one of those uh, quote-unquote condensed versions of this fight over on the YouTubes. And so uh, I also did not watch the whole thing. But again, my take would be the same as yours. I didn't feel like I missed anything. If anything, it felt uh, more tepid uh, than their first fight in all ways, except for the final knockout there by Jake Paul. Uh, Clearly, Tyron Woodley didn't really have the big moment that he had in their first fight other than, you know, he cut Jake Paul open. Uh, either with an inadvertent headbutt or an elbow, they were talking about on the broadcast, but he drew a little blood. Uh, But when you're already dealing with a guy like Tyron Woodley, who's in his late 30s and left the UFC on the heels of what, like four or five straight losses, uh, and he rolls into a short notice fight against Jake Paul, you are already dealing with a guy past his prime who is known even when he was at the top of his game as being a guy who doesn't always let the hands go as being a guy who can get a little, uh, froze and a little bit like, uh, you know, doesn't push a, uh, a, a torrid pace, let's say. And if you're just standing there and Jake Paul gets to pot shot you and he hits you right on the ear or right behind the ear or wherever it was, you might go to sleep because as much fun as we like to make of Jake Paul, like he's getting better. He's a young guy as I've said before, he has nothing else to do in his life besides train (laughs) boxing, if that's what he want to do. So he should be good at it. He should be good at it and he should be getting better. And he hits hard, man. If you, if, if he lands a clean one like that, like you can, you can go to sleep. It'll put you down. But at the same time, I don't feel like there's any way or any reason to like, look at this particular result and say that it either legitimizes Jake Paul more. If you, if, if you didn't think that he was legitimate before and like, it's not like the sky is falling by any yeah. metric, man. Like, these, these fights aren't fixed, I don't think. But Jake Paul is also being extremely cautious in terms of who he fights, when and where, and under what circumstances.
1: Right, but I and mean... When, when
0: that, he holds all the cards, you can't be surprised when he wins all the fights.
1: That in itself, that sort of, that approach to a boxing career, it's not as if he invented it. You know, like no. that that has been around for a while. He's just going about it in a little more of an influencer fashion that rather than hand-selecting a bunch of dudes who are like two and six so to build up his record early on, he is hand-selecting dudes for their names and for what they can sort of add to the promotion of the fight, And but then also for their beatability. But, I mean, you got to give the guy credit because he is out there fighting, Uh, you know, a former UFC champion. And fighting him twice, just in case people thought he got lucky the first time, and then knocks him the fuck out. Like, yeah, give him that. He he did that shit, and and you know, Tyron Woodley did not want to get knocked out by Jake Paul. He's going to give him an extra half a million dollars if he to to knock him out. And honestly, at this point, I feel like I've come all the way around to respecting this the the hustle that the guys putting in into promoting these fights and to actually it seems working to become a better and better boxer. He actually yeah. does seem like he he cares about that and is not just trying to to cash in really quickly and without learning how to box. Like he actually does seem like he wants to be good at this and wants to get better at it. So respect to that. Um I also though feel like are we gonna have to be the old fuddy duddies someday, sitting around the the front porch of a Cracker Barrel, telling people, you know, kids? Tyron Woodley wasn't always just the guy who got knocked out by Jake Paul. He wasn't always just a punchline. He, there was a time when he was a good fighter himself. And they're yeah. gonna go, what? It's true. He was a UFC champion. And they're gonna go, what? No way. That guy, the guy Jake Paul slept. Yep, it's true. There was a time when Tyron Woodley was the best 170-pound MMA fighter on the planet, perhaps. And it's just going to blow their little minds. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, everybody always wants to talk about, like, damaging your legacy, shit like that. I mean, you got to make some money. You got to make a living, so Tyron Woodley, if they call, he's going to answer the phone, he's going to cash that paycheck. Don't blame him for that. Do you think, though, that stuff like this makes it so that the career of Tyron Woodley is uh, that for a lot of more mainstream combat sports fans, it's going to be this. And then, oh yeah, he also had his day in the UFC.
0: Maybe. Yeah. But if you, if that's what you think, then you weren't going to know who Tyron Woodley was. Okay. Probably previous, previous to these. And, and uh, I guess it's the devil's bargain that you make. If you're a guy like Tyron Woodley is that you take this money and you get into these fights. And when this stuff, this kind of stuff happens, it might be, the final word on your legacy for some people. And like he and Ben Askren can probably sit at a table together and talk about it when they are in their golden years.
1: Uh but they can also they, afford the bill when it comes, uh, yeah. after after they after maybe their Maybe they talk. won't be
0: at, maybe they won't be at Cracker Barrel Maybe they'll be across the street at a, a fine dining situation. I don't know. Maybe they uh, won't but be I mean, on
1: GoFundMe the- uh trying to get the medical bills paid.
0: That's the calculus you have to make, right? If you're Tyron Woodley, like you get, you, you take the money knowing that bad shit could happen, but you're also a fighter. So when you do take the money, you're like, but it won't happen to me because mm-hmm. that's what they always think. But you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes it does. Uh, what do you make of Anderson Silva, at least in terms of the betting favorite to be Jake Paul's next opponent opening as uh, you know, according to the sharps, the most likely next move here. Uh, for Jake Paul, because I got to be perfectly honest with you, I don't see it.
1: You, you, what, what do you mean you don't see it? You don't see it actually happening, or you don't see it being a, a fight that people would pay to see?
0: I mean, I don't see it being Jake Paul's next move, man. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't if you were Jake Paul? Wouldn't you much rather see if Tommy Fury was interested in picking up the bag, unfumbling the bag, scooping it back up?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have put a lot of work into that rivalry, and it could still pay out for you. So, yeah. Maybe. I mean, are you are you implying that Jake Paul, even with as good as he is feeling about his boxing skills, don't want no part of uh, even an advanced age Anderson Silva?
0: I mean, I don't know that I would advance that argument at this point. I feel like we've come too far down the road with Jake Paul. He probably would fight him. But, it you know, in fairness, Anderson Silva would be the first real striker. Well, Jake Paul has fought, right?
1: But it would also play into what Jake Paul seems to have learned is that his audience is infuriated MMA fans. Like he he has really cultivated that audience of realizing that the MMA fans are very trollable. They've got this giant red button right in their foreheads and you can just keep pushing it and they'll keep keep showing up to watch you and fighting Anderson Silva, a revered God from this sport would be another way to do that and another way to keep fucking with Dana White and talking about how he's embarrassing his whole company by beating guys who used to be champions in the UFC. So I could kind of see something like that. I also feel like, at least from my perspective, the way Jake Paul gets me to watch a fight is to get me to heave a sigh and go, all right, I guess I'll watch that. I guess I have to. I guess I got to see that. And Tommy Fury doesn't really get me there. I feel like I would let me know how it turns out. Um, But if you fight Anderson Silva, I might heave that side, Chad, and I might go, all right, and I might buy that shit.
0: You're right about that. Maybe you just answered the question for the both of us. Maybe we should send this tape to Jake Paul, charge him a small marketing fee Mm -hmm. and let him know who he should who he should fight next. And I mean, if you want to if you got to give the guy credit for anything, you got to give him credit for that, for, for being smart on the promotional end and realizing those very things at the expense of MMA fighters and MMA fans. So congratulations, Jake Paul. You played us. (laughs) You played
1: us. But you played us well, you know? Yeah.
0: All right, that's going to do it for uh, round number two. We're going to get Sir Nigel Longstock in here for the CME Holiday Office Party. In round number three, that starts right now. right everybody let's get into it time once again for the annual cme office holiday party here we are and we are joined as we are every year around this time by the world's leading theatricalist we haven't heard from him in a while so i'm excited to find out what he's been up to sir nigel longstock is here everybody
2: good season to you sirs
1: yeah, it has, it has been a while since we have heard from Sir Nigel. I'm glad you could make it to the holiday party, though. What you been up to?
2: Me too. Well, I've had a bad cough and a headache, sir, for, okay. I'm going to say, about 20 months now. Oh. I think it should clear up, though. I believe it's a summer cold.
1: I'm just going to ask this. I fear the answer, but I'm going to ask nonetheless. How's your sense
2: of taste and smell? My what? Well, my sense of taste is impeccable, sir. Well, As you know, I prefer blondes. Uh, my sense of smell has been on the fritz a little bit lately, but frankly, that's an advantage in the Sir Nigel lifestyle.
1: You know what? Now that you say it, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, but you know what? We haven't heard from you. You, you've, you made it around for the Christmas episode. I'm curious, though, I see you have brought some what would appear to be letters. with You You seem to have brought a collection of letters I'd be remiss in my duties if I didn't ask what the hell was going on with that.
2: Indeed, sir, I have brought these letters. And let me tell you, they are precious. Okay. They are children's letters to Santa Claus. Mm. Oh, Yes, as you know, millions of children around the globe write letters to Santa Claus each year. And a certain number of those letters go missing from Sir Nigel's local post office.
1: (laughs) Are. are you saying that you have broken into the post office and stolen children's letters to Santa?
2: I'm saying that when you wake up in the post office, you would be a fool to leave empty-handed. That's true. And
1: you're going you're to take something.
2: Indeed, sir. And you know, Sir Nigel is always looking for material of all kinds. And this year, we have some just wonderful letters that will warm your heart.
1: Okay. Well, I look forward to that. Chad, how about that? When's the last time... Sir Nigel brought us some some content to warm our hearts. I mean, it's been a while.
0: It ha- it, this might be unprecedented. This could be a first and I'm glad it's going to warm our hearts, if not the hearts of the children who are sitting home hoping that Santa gets their letters only to have those letters pilfered and brought here to the CME cons- office holiday. You're concerned
1: party. the letters might not make it to the North Pole. That's your big concern here. I mean,
0: I would just hate to disappoint the kids. You know me. I'm all about the kids.
1: Yeah.
2: I will say about them the same thing Papa Nigel always said about us. They'll be fine.
1: (laughs) Well, that's encouraging. All right. Well, what do you got for us whenever you're ready?
2: Yes, let us begin. Children's letters to Santa Claus. Mm -mm. You all know who Santa Claus is, right? St. Nicholas. Yes, big communist, lives in the North Pole. Yeah, Kris Kringle. That's him. Indeed, sir. Dear Santa, I heard you keep a list of everyone who is naughty and everyone who is nice. I try to be nice, but some kids at school say I am a nerd. They pull my hair and put my glasses on their butts and take (laughs) turns pretending their butts are me and kicking each other in the butt. (laughs) Then they beat me up. For Christmas, please bring me free taekwondo lessons so I can learn to defend myself. Haha, just kidding, I need a gun. (laughs) Sincerely, Preston, age 10.
0: Okay. Wow. All right. That's that's horrifying. That's a horrifying letter from, from young Preston. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I was... Well, I was more horrified when I thought we were going to end on Taekwondo lessons, honestly.
2: You can't get him that. He'll be killed.
1: No. Look, put, that, put Preston in a singlet, you know? And let's get to work.
2: Indeed, sir. But my heart? Warmed. I'll tell you
1: <laughs> Yeah. That. No, that's just... The heart is warm as a motherfucker. The, the right thought
0: now. of those kids putting his glasses on their butts and pretending to be, their butts are him just... It warms the heart. Yep. It's
2: it's lovely. A Mm -hmm. Christmas miracle. Mm. Letter number two. Dear Santa, I would like to start this month over again so I can make some different choices with my life slash hands. Hmm. Sincerely, Tyron, age 39. (laughs)
0: Okay. Okay. All right.
1: That one, I feel like that might be somebody we know, Chad.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone who has recently uh, bitten off more than they could chew. In a short notice type situation.
1: Yeah, how does what is Santa's policy on you know turn back the clock style wishes? Does he do that?
0: Can Santa yeah. fly around the world? Like remember in Superman? Yeah. Superman two where he flies around the world, turn turns back time? Maybe Santa Which, can do the same that, thing.
1: That honestly felt
2: like a stretch even for Superman. I assume Santa can do it, because otherwise, logistically, how is he managing the whole... You know, because the night is only eight hours or so. Clearly. Sometimes shorter.
1: You've you've thought this through. Indeed,
2: sir. Hmm. Let's move on to letter number three. Children's letters. Okay, yes. To Santa Claus. Dear Santa Claus, do you live in the North Pole? How do you deliver toys to all the children in the world in one night? See, the kids think about it. Mm -hmm. When you get cold, do you and all the reindeer sleep in a big pile? This is this is cute. Yeah, I, yes. I hope
1: it doesn't take a turn at if, all.
2: If I'm not supposed to go to Buffalo Wild Wings anymore, who's going to feed my kids? I'm just asking questions. Your friend, Tito, age 46.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Now, yeah, if... If you have a problem at Buffalo Wild Wings, I do think the thing to do is to get Santa to intervene on your behalf.
2: Yes. Think of the children uh-huh. at Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. This is why punitive justice doesn't work.
1: This this fellow named Tito, whoever he may be.
2: Age 46. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's old anywhere. to be getting in
0: trouble at Buffalo <laughs> Wild Wings.
2: <laughs> it's old to be doing a lot of things. Yeah, so.
0: yeah it is. Hmm.
2: Let's move on to letter number four. Okay dear santa you fat fuck i know i will only get coal once again from your snowflake ass because every year i somehow wind up on the bullshit naughty list but please bring me one more big name opponent even if i don't deserve it preferably one i can beat also maybe a new blazer merry christmas not happy holidays colby age 33 okay colby age 33 I feel like there are, in addition to the name
1: and the age here, a lot of tells <laughs> for the astute listener listening very carefully to tell who that might have
0: been. Yeah, winding Indeed. up on the bullshit naughty list.
1: Yeah, making sure that it's a Merry Christmas and not a Happy Holidays.
2: Mm-hmm. We have two letters left, sir, if you okay. want them, or just the one, if we wanted to do five as originally agreed.
0: No, I, <laughs> you think, know what just hit- I think we got to hear all of them. Yeah, we're on quite a roll.
2: Great. The children deserve it. They do. I think. Letter number five. Dear Santa, you think you're better than me? You come in here acting so high and mighty like you never made a mistake, like you never went in the Fookin' closet thinking it was the loo, like you're some kind of saint. You make me sick. Ah, I'm just having fun with you. Let me buy you a drink. Drink it! Drink it or I'll kill your wife! Sincerely, Connor, age 33.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: That one was a journey.
0: What do you get? The person who has everything.
1: Yeah. It's just... uh... I mean, Santa, though, does roll around thinking he's better than people. That's a fair point made here by Connor, age 33.
2: Who is he to say I'm naughty? That's my question. Uh Uh-huh. Like, you never did naughty.
1: Forcing his own set of morality. Mm -hmm. Come on.
2: There's no... You can't do it. There's no authority to do it. (laughs) Hmm. The last one. You know, this one wasn't going to make the cut, but something about it touched my heart. okay. And I think you'll agree, once you hear it, that this kid is... Living a tale of woe, oh. I would say, but I don't, I don't want to spoil it. Hmm. Dear Santa Claus, and no. that's how you know, first of all, he's, a, he's uneducated. It's adorable. He's a child. Yeah. Normally, I would not write this kind of letter, preferring to work for what I get, but this year has been very hard. My mother died of radiation sickness after she lowered herself into the core of our local nuclear power plant to save my sister, Rose Marie. Also now dead of radiation sickness, after going in there to save her kitten, Marbles, who is dead too, after going into the reactor core after my brother, poor Stephen, who went in there to look for our father, whom we have not seen in quite some time. My whole family has died of atomic poisoning, and I have no money to bury them, being a total child. So I cannot sleep at night because they lay glowing in the yard, reminding me of my loss and also sending a sleep-depriving amount of light in through the window of my cold, bare room. In order to help me sleep at night, (laughs) I am asking you. He's a long-winded child. Yeah. And Uh you can see why. He's got nothing to do but think. Yeah. In order to help me sleep at night, I am asking you, Santa Claus, to bring me a life size body pillow in the shape of baruto. Sincerely, Chambungus, a total child.
1: Okay. Chambungus. I
0: don't I'm
2: kind of familiar.
1: I yeah, don't, don't something so. it's something about the syllables. Hmm. And it feels oddly recognizable. What do you think, Chad Dundas?
0: Uh well, how would a Baruto body pillow even work? Would that be hard to share bed the with. bed with, I would think.
1: It's also curious that after this tale of woe, the request is for a body pillow. Hmm. Presumably in the shape of Baruto.
0: I don't know. Hmm. I don't know.
2: Probably just spray paint his picture on a mattress would be <laughs> the best bet there.
1: <laughs> Again, I feel like you've thought of this. And I don't, I don't know what to say to that.
2: Sir Nigel's Baruto Simulator will open soon.
1: <laughs> well, as always, it's memorable when Sir Nigel drops by. Yeah, uh, we appreciate it. What else you got going on, Sir Nigel?
2: You know, it's funny you should ask, Sir. I'm appearing in a remake of a beloved film entitled Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Titled to be determined, <laughs> I just assumed there was another movie, Miracle on 34th Streets of Rage. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah. Uh, you really saved it. Too you much, really too much it time, time on
0: that last letter from Santa, maybe.
1: D- dare <laughs> dare I ask what role you play?
2: Yes, sir. <laughs> I play Mr. Quimby, a character from Miracle mm-hmm. on 34th Street that we all remember because yeah. we have seen that film.
1: Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. about Christmas. Mr. Quimby.
2: Mr. Quimby, who personally battles the Grinch.
1: (laughs) It ain't Christmas until you see that battle between Mr. Quimby and the Grinch in Miracle on 34th Street.
2: Oh my God, is it Christmas? Not the colorized version. Not the colorized version.
1: Yeah. Well, that was Sir Nigel Longstock, and that was whatever he is doing now.
2: Thank you, sirs.
0: Like much of the rest of the world, just closing out 2021 on a high note. There at the end.
1: Well, that was that was a rousing visit. I think we can agree with that you uh, you look roused.
0: It's, just it's always invigorating to have Sir Nigel Longstock stop by.
1: Yeah, well, and especially you know you only get one holiday party episode of the Co Main Event podcast. You know, it only comes around once a year, and clearly. I have been preparing for it all year, ever since last year, and I, I'm very glad to, to, to have this time come around again. I have I have some awards to give
0: out. Oh, good, yeah, been looking forward to this mm-hmm. since uh, since last year's awards that we all remember so clearly yeah. and uh, succinctly. We've been thinking about them all year. Probably all of us have. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, the first award here, the CME holiday party. This is for most valuable podcaster.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Is this uh industry wide or uh Well, it's a, this is a company party. Is okay. It? Yeah. It's... So it's just just people in the company eligible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mhm. Just Yeah, I can't uh, wait to find out who wins this one.
1: Yeah. So basically I feel like we both got a shot. Yeah. You know. You no, know, I, I missed saying. the
0: vote for this or like the uh was this up on the whiteboard in the break room for a while? Yeah.
1: No, yeah. That's been a, that's been in the break room. It's been, okay. it's been up there for a while. Uh all right. Let me just open up this award. The award for most valuable podcaster goes to Brendan Schaub? That can't be right. <laughs> yeah. How come okay. on. Who? All right. Somebody rigged this vote. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. It's not funny. You know, whoever's playing a joke out there, whoever got in the break room, got into some of the jelly donuts, having a good time. Uh I think. I felt like I had it this year. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. All right. Most uh,
0: valuable in terms of providing content for other shows, perhaps.
1: Okay. Um, the next award here, Chad, I have. This one is for most valuable topic.
0: Okay. Most valuable topic. Mm-hmm.
1: This Interesting. One will be awarded I'm sure the
0: topic will be overjoyed to win. To
1: a topic. And the award goes to Ezekiah Paul.
0: Okay, (laughs) yeah, okay. I think you know. Uh, Yeah. Is he going to show up to to receive the award, or is this going to be like the UFC at uh, Fighters Only Awards?
1: Uh, I think we're going to put the award in a manila envelope. We're going to write Paul Bros, California, and just send it off and uh, let the United States Postal Service take it from there, my man.
0: 50-50 shot, it gets there.
1: Yeah, they can be depended on. Um, This next award goes out to... Uh, are you fucking kidding me of the year?
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, this one. It's another Brendan Shop. This, <laughs> this one is also <laughs> Brendan Schaub. Two time winner. There's how many Brendan Shops are in here? This is, well, disturbing to say the least. Um, okay. Last one here, Chad. Last one. This is a big one. Best friend of the year.
0: Oh wow! Okay, yeah. This is this is the big daddy, the granddaddy of them all. This is best friend of the year, the
1: BFF award. A lot of people call it the beefy, if you so choose. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bestie. Um, Let's see, Chad Dundas.
0: Oh wow! Okay, did Brennan Shop vote for that? You won.
1: You won the beefy.
0: Congratulations, the beefy award. That's speech. You know what? I just want to thank all of the little people who. Got us here today. It's been a hard year. Wait,
1: I'm sorry. That was also a Brendan Shaw. I I fucked that up. I fucked Mm, that up. That makes sense. I did a Steve Harvey on us there. Remember that? Remember (laughs) that? Remember when that was just a fucking catastrophe? Oh, what children we were when it was just a fucking catastrophe when Steve Harvey won the wrong, read the wrong (laughs) Miss Universe contestant and we went, oh shit, the world has fallen apart.
0: Almost like we didn't have any real problems back in those what days.
1: naive, stupid children we were. That's it. That was the last award. That was the last award. Unless you have some awards you'd like to get. No,
0: I mean I didn't even know that these were happening, so I don't have the don't have any awards. The but I I was impressed with the pageantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always classy mm-hmm. here at the year end co main event podcast awards.
1: Here's since since we're we're doing some real talk now at the the holiday party. It always gets real, you know, right about this time. Everybody knows that. It's a long history of the holiday party, the CME holiday party. Um, Chad, what are you going to miss now that this year is, is now we're putting it in the books? What are you looking forward to for 2022? What are you sad to say goodbye to?
0: Mm. Ah, boy. Uh Nothing. Okay. I'm not sad to say goodbye to nothing, and I'll, it's isn't it? Uh, wouldn't I just m- reveal myself as a fool if I said I was looking forward to anything <laughs> next year?
1: Well, it did get real. It did get realer than I was expecting.
0: Because I think we we uh, we just gotta we gotta batten down the hatches here and just take it as it comes. I think.
1: See, I was all set to say that you know what, a part of me was gonna miss the just the UFC Apex events.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: And then I started to think about like a realistic view of what twenty twenty two is actually probably gonna look like in general and also in the mixed martial arts space. And I realized, well, maybe I don't have to say goodbye to those quite as soon as I feared.
0: Yeah. Make sure somebody's still got the key because we and I might need to get back in there <laughs> to the Apex. You never You're know. saying we
1: shouldn't we shouldn't go ahead and, and book that Kid Rock uh, residency? In the yeah. UFC Apex just yet, yeah.
0: All right, I guess that does it. That wraps it up. We uh, we did the damn thing. We had the holiday party. We gave out the awards. We read the letters from Santa. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we are over on the Patreon, of course, on Wednesday and Thursday for the live chat, and then doing the damn thing. Friday is Christmas Eve, so we're off that day. Think we're gonna have a proper a week from today, year end show, end of the year kind of extravaganza.
1: That's when Maybe? we should do our our actual MMA awards.
0: Okay, <laughs> more awards. I think that. Well, I think the outcry. There'll be significant outcry for more awards after the smashing success of the Holiday Party Awards.
1: You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a rule about that. Brendan job though, he can't keep getting away with this.
0: Yeah. No, he's he may not be eligible for any of the end of the year awards. Yeah. He fucked around and got himself banned from the <laughs> awards.
1: See. Messing with the whiteboard.
0: Hey. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, as for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. How did, did Brennan Shop break in here? Is that is that what we're implying? He broke in and stuffed the ballot box with his. I don't know
1: if anybody's implying anything. Maybe it's just.
0: Maybe it's either him or his supporters, which are legion. Yeah. Are there shadow supporters of Brennan Shaw among the uh, Coming Event Podcast? It's possible of course. Whispers. Just whispers of shop. You must come down the hallways.